Yeah, but the, that gospel reading there, that well-known gospel reading for Christmas, Luke 2, right? And I've, I've said this a number of times in Bible study, but it's, it's the one that we always think of with the Peanuts Christmas special, right? Linus reading that uh, there in the, when they're doing the Christmas pageant and it's kind of the highlight of the movie. Uh, we all know that reading. We all know those words. And so it's on that uh, gospel reading that I wrote my message for tonight. And the message I wrote for tonight, I titled uh, Gathered for Christmas. And I wrote this, I'll admit, before we ended up all uh, a number of us getting diagnosed with COVID, before I got uh, sick with COVID. Uh, I wrote this thinking about the fact that we would be gathered over at church tonight. And so as I'm getting ready to, to share this message with you, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm missing the fact that we're not gathered together, that we're not sitting there over at church, uh, seeing one another, sitting with one another, enjoying one another's company this Christmas season, this, uh, this Christmas Eve. But the focus of this text really isn't about on necessarily us gathering with other people. Right? That's, that's such an important part of the Christian life, uh, of, of what Jesus does. He brings us into community. But when we think about Christmas, uh, we really can find some joy in the fact that it's not so much about our earthly gatherings here. It's God gathering himself to us and us to him. Right? It's Emmanuel. It's God with us. And so let's consider the Luke 2 reading tonight and think about God with us. There's a lot of gatherings that happen in this text, and that's another reason I wanted to talk about that. Uh, the first one, it's kind of a big one, Caesar Augustus, right? Maybe you remember that name from a, a history class in school, Caesar Augustus. You remember the name Julius Caesar, perhaps, right? Shakespeare wrote a big play about him. Uh, so Julius Caesar was the, the preeminent man in the Roman Republic in the last years of the Roman Republic. and all of his political enemies thought that he was trying to make himself the king of Rome again. Uh, and so they assassinated him, right? They, they all come and they kill him and they're in the Senate. And one of his friends, Brutus, is the one who stabs him and is, is seen by Caesar. We've got those famous words, et tu, Brute, you too, Brutus. That's Julius Caesar. This Caesar Augustus is Julius's grandson, who is our grand grand nephew, who's adopted by Julius as his heir, adopted as his legal son. Uh, and Caesar Augustus, where they thought that Julius Caesar wanted to be king, Caesar Augustus is the one who makes himself emperor, uh, totally destroys the Roman Republic system of government and makes himself emperor. And this Caesar Augustus, this, this man who topples the Roman Republic and installs himself as its new emperor and ushers in the Roman imperial age. He's the one who brings about the first gathering that we're talking about tonight. Uh, he calls for this census. And part of the census, as Caesar wants to carry it out, is that he's going to have all of these various people all across the, his new empire gather themselves together uh, to be numbered, to be counted. He wants them all to gather up so he can know how many people am I in control of? How many people are in this new empire that I control? How many people are subject to my, to my whims? 
And when we think about it, right, we still take a census every 10 years here in the U.S., but we don't do it the way that Caesar did, right? If if uh, if we did it the way Caesar did, I'd be on a plane to San Antonio with Ruth and the kids tonight to get counted up down in Texas, because that's where I'm from. That would be where our, our family hails from. And some of you might just be headed a few towns over here on Long Island. Some of you would be traveling quite a bit further, I know. Uh, it's it's incredible, isn't it? This census that's being taken all to satisfy this one man's uh, vanity, call it, ambition, uh, curiosity. He just wants to know how powerful is he? And so he's going to move the whole Roman world. He's going to shuffle people all across the borders of his empire just to figure out a measure of how powerful he truly is. We don't do a census like that anymore, but maybe as you think about it in that sense, you realize that uh, as you've done your Christmas shopping, you've been kind of taken up in censuses like that, right? If you bought gifts on Amazon, they're tracking your data. They're, they're tracking the people who, who buy from them. They're taking a census. Uh, just like all of the citizens of Caesar's empire were nothing more than faceless imperial assets to him to be stacked up and numbered uh, as we do our Christmas shopping. We should think about the fact that our world turns us into the very same thing, faceless assets to be numbered and tracked and quantified. Even if you didn't do any shopping on Amazon, if you walk through the doors of the grocery store, right? They, they're checking their foot traffic. They're, they're checking to see what's how much is foot traffic up in our store? Where In what aisles are people walking? What things are they buying? Does it weigh on you, perhaps? This being tracked and registered and treated as a commercialized asset for the benefit of someone else's bottom line, like all these Roman imperial citizens. As often as we're the objects of commercialization, uh, though we're often also guilty of it, right? Of, of treating people as if they were assets to be used for our enrichment. Right? It's what we do as we check to see how many likes our Christmas family photo got on Instagram, right? How many people liked it? How many people am I in control of? How many people do I influence? We should look at ourselves and understand that this is something natural about the human heart, right? You don't have to be the Roman Empire to kind of look at other people as an asset that you can use to make yourself feel big and important and special. As we keep thinking about the Christmas account then tonight, I want you to, to note this. God is different. Caesar wanted to know how many people it was lived in his kingdom. God knew it already. God knew that number. And God not only knew how many people there were in the Roman Empire, he knew how many people there were around the whole world at that time. He still does. And he knows how many hairs are on everyone's head, right? Caesar's census, every person trekking around the Roman Empire for it, every person forced to put their normal lives on pause. God's going to zoom in on two of those people to show us that he doesn't think of us as, as nameless assets, as, as commercialized entities, as just numbers to be tabulated in a spreadsheet somewhere. He's going to tell us the story of Two people in particular. 
He's going to tell us about a, a, a blue-collar average Joe, a kind, humble man, a, a man named Joseph. And we know Joseph. We've heard this story before. He's going to tell us about a, a heavily pregnant, newlywed, a humble young woman named Mary. And there's one more figure in this story, right? There's one more along for the ride there to Bethlehem. There's God made flesh, right? The creator of the universe hanging out in a uterus. We've got baby boy Jesus there as well. Uh, both Mary and Joseph's families came from Bethlehem, from King David's town, but they had gotten to know each other. They had gotten engaged. They had gotten married before this trip in Nazareth, in a, a small town in the north of Israel. And that was where they had planned to build their lives together. And now this little family has been gathered together for what is not going to be an easy trip, right? It's not that it, we would say, looking at a map anymore, that that's a particularly long distance to Bethlehem from Nazareth, but you've got Mary, who's who's got to be just about nine months pregnant at this point, given that by the time they reach Nazareth or reach Bethlehem, she's ready to give birth as soon as they can find a, a stable to let it happen in, right? So you've got a pregnant Mary. They don't have back then an LIRR or an Amtrak or a, a, a subway system, right? There was no Uber. There were no cars, right? We've got that traditional depiction of Mary on the donkey, right? Plodding along and Joseph leading the donkey from the front. And that's probable, right? It's doubtful that Mary would have been able to walk that whole way. We should, we can very likely assume that she had some kind of help, just like we usually envision her. But even so, it would have taken at least four full days of them walking and walking to make it to Bethlehem. And then when they finally arrive, uh, man, they must have felt almost unwelcome, right? Maybe we should assume that it took them longer than those standard four days to arrive because by the time they do trudge into Bethlehem, there's not even room enough for them to squeeze this pregnant woman into a guest room. But there is room, it turns out, in a stable with some of the animals that must have belonged to perhaps a cousin of Joseph or something like that. Uh, that's probably who they ended up staying with, somebody related to them there in the town who had enough room in the stable that they could uh, camp out there. And now Mary decides, all right, I guess that's preferable to going and giving birth in the street. Yikes. Let me ask you again, do you feel like Mary this Christmas, right? Have you found yourself perhaps at a holiday party this Christmas, kind of standing in the corner, right? Gathered somewhere that you don't particularly want to be, where it doesn't feel like there's any room for you, right? Have you felt this Christmas season like you're somewhere unhappy, somewhere uncomfortable, and that you're finally just running on fumes? If that's you, then God wants you to think about this next gathering that takes place in our text. So he sends this messenger, his angel, to announce the good news to a group of shepherds in the hills outside of town, right? He, he sends the angel, the angel blazes in, startles them, tells them there's a savior, it's God's chosen one. Christ is born today as a baby in the town over there. Go on in, find him. They do, they run throughout town. They're probably looking in every stable, right? Until they find the one that the angel had told them about. There's gonna be a baby in a manger in one of these stables. And so all these smelly shepherds in crowd into the room, right? Just fresh out of the fields, just fresh out of caring for their sheep. Maybe they're mumbling some apologies to exhausted and uh, fed up Mary. 
whatever they say, right? Here they are, this strange group all gathered around Jesus. Again, if you feel like some kind of faceless corporate asset this Christmas, right? Just tracked and numbered and quantified, but not known. God wants you to think about those shepherds. He sent a messenger to them, to these blue collar guys working on the outskirts of town on Christmas, right? It wasn't a holiday then, but if you feel pressured and exhausted like that, uncared about, God wants you to see that that's the kind of person he sends his messengers to. If you feel like Mary, again, if you feel exhausted and uncomfortable and, and crowded out of your space, God wants you to think about this little group that got gathered together that first Christmas. Right? God wants you to know this. You are not some faceless asset. He sent this message in the, into a, this world for you to hear. Right? Just like those shepherds heard the angels. He wants to talk with you. He wants to share the good news with you. He wants to bring you together with other people. And if you're feeling like Mary, exhausted and uncomfortable, God wants you to bring you together with other people. And I know that, honestly, in our culture right now, that's exactly opposite of what we usually talk about, right? Everybody kind of talks about being an introvert right now. And generally, people say that, oh, well, I need to recharge my batteries after dealing with people. I get that. I'm a fairly introverted guy myself. I need some recharge time after extended uh, social goings on. But something we want to, to wrestle with and to take into our hearts from the Christmas text is that God thinks it is so important for you to connect with other people through and because of Jesus. Right? If you're exhausted, it's because people ask things of you, demand things from you, require you to perform and to work, right? But this is different. The kind of gathering that in a normal year we would be doing tonight, the kind of gathering that we're hopefully doing as we see friends and family around this Christmas time, right? The kind of gathering that we will do tomorrow morning over at church and that we'll do the Sunday after that and every Sunday. That kind of gathering isn't a gathering that requires anything from you, right? God doesn't want you to perform, you to work, you to bring him anything there. He wants you to sit there so that he can have Christmas every Sunday for you. And so he can bring you gifts. So he can bring you his comfort words, his promise words, his love words. Now that gathering, the gathering that we do on Sunday and the gathering that the shepherds did with Mary and Joseph, it doesn't last forever, right? Ultimately, the shepherds leave. Mary's given a little time to rest, which is good, right? There's nothing wrong with that, especially if you're a lady who just gave birth. Uh, even Jesus, when he grew up, right? We read about this in the Gospels. He liked to go off by himself at times to think and to pray. And we can describe that as a kind of gathering too, can't we? Right? It's a healthy thing. It's, it's sitting alone with your thoughts, gathering yourself, right? With no YouTube clips, no podcasts, running at triple speed. Just thinking. That's what Mary does, right? When she's gathered there with her thoughts, she turns them over and over in her head. She turns over what she knows about this baby. She turns over what the shepherds were telling her, Joseph, each other, everyone as they left. She thinks about all these things that she knows. That's what you can do when we leave this Christmas. Because this baby, right? This baby that the shepherds gathered with, that Mary's snuggled in with, 
that night. This baby is Emmanuel. That word that means God with us. Right? This is a savior born into our world, a savior who knows what it's like to be in need, a savior who knows what it's like to feel discomfort, a savior who can go with you into all of those experiences in your life because he's felt them. He's Emmanuel, the God who gathers himself to you, the God who gathers you to him. Go with Jesus tonight, friends. He goes with you. A Merry Christmas. Amen.